Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. For the past three or four months, I think, we've been teaching on grace reigns through righteousness. So that the grace of God, which is the substance by which God is comprised, uh, grace is the constituent element that makes up God as a spirit being. That's the substance in God. It's the Greek word hypostasis, um, and it resides in God. Whatever is in God must be in, in us. If God is full of grace, we must be full of the stuff. The, the composite element that he is made up must be our portion as, 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 as well. Okay? And um, uh, that comes to us at the point at which we get saved. So when you enter the kingdom, you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. By grace are you saved. So at that point, it's unmerited. There's nothing you could do to earn it. He invited you in. But once saved, once you are a son of God, you are expected to grow in grace. Peter said that you must grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When Jesus was two years old, Luke describes grace as the grace was on him. Everyone say grace on him. Right? On him. When he was 12 and his parents found him in the temple and they shut down the Bible study that he was having with Pharisees and, and scribes and the Bible says uh, he went back with them down to Nazareth to a place of instruction. Nazareth means separation, place of separation, place of instruction under the fatherly oversight of Joseph and, and Mary. The Bible says he subjected himself to them. But the Bible uses this, the scripture. Because of that, the Bible says he grew in grace. So when he was two, grace was on him. When he was 12 and he submitted himself to a process of instruction, the Bible says he grew in grace. By the time he was 30, so between 12 and 30, he's growing in grace. By the time he was 30, John says, and we beheld his glory full of grace. So what was on him at two grew incrementally within him from 12 to 30. By the time he reached fullness, which is maturity, John says he's full of it. Now tell someone you need to be full of grace too. So grace can be incrementally increased in one's life. God can be offloaded to you progressively, incrementally through time. That is what we are saying. Okay, having come in by grace, the grace that saved you now must be the grace that will mature you into a place called fullness where, as it was said of Jesus, so it could be said of you, you too are full of grace. It's only when you are full of grace is glory beheld. As John says, we beheld his glory full of grace. Last week I described what glory is. Remember, we, descri- we describe glory as the exact representation of the nature of God. Remember? 
Okay? So glory is refers to um, when a son, and by the way, it's only a son. Everyone say son. So it's only a son of God that has got the capacity to reflect the glory of God. Glory, say it with me again, exact representation. That glory can only, if it's God, if God has glory, He is not uh, satisfied that He has it because He is unseen, invisible. He wants to make it known, wants to, want to, wants to visibilize it. So He elects, He has chosen the principle of Son, Son of God, as the medium through which He is going to offload Himself into so that from that point onwards, that Son could beam Him off, could reflect Him to the entirety of the creative order, both seen and even unseen realms. So you are a reflection of God's glory. Your, pre- your primary preoccupation in life is what? To reflect God's glory. Even in Matthew it says, uh, uh, do, your, do good works so that men might see your good works and give God Glory, or you can show forth the glory of the Lord by your behavior. Last week I said to you, you are the reputation of God. God has staked his entire being on you. The view of God that men have of him is dependent on you, the son of God. However you live, you are representing a higher realm, which is God your father. How you live is very, very important. You either give him a bad reputation or you give him a a good reputation. So how you exactly represent him is everything that he has staked his entire being on, his son. So he's chosen to remain invisible. If I could get behind these curtains, I would. Right? Unseen. And he said, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stay behind, I'm gonna stay in that realm of invisibility. But I want to make myself known. So, Father, the Bible says in Peter, no man at any time has seen the Father. The Father will always be invisible. But he chooses to visibilize himself to the medium of Son. So, uh, Jesus said, when they said to Jesus, show us the Father, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the, the Father. In other words, this is one of the mysteries in Scripture I still don't comprehend. The decision of a father to remain invisible, but to fully showcase himself in and through the medium of a, of his son. So you have a responsibility to show forth the glory of your father. Even in Matthew, I think it's Matthew 10, 20, when Jesus sent his disciples, he said to them, go and, and, and speak. It is not you who will speak, but who will speak? It is the spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now, he's sending them as sons. But in sonship, the spirit of the Father speaks. In you. Tell someone in you too. Yeah? In you too, it's the spirit of Father that desires to communicate himself in and through you. Okay? I want you to be aware of this. Let's say you're in a very difficult situation where there's tensions in relationships and you possibly could bring mediation or remedy or resolve of the case. 
God has put you in that maybe an invidious situation. You know what you must arm your mind with? If I'm in that situation, I don't think like all Randolph's in this situation trying to bring reconciliation. I say, no, it's not me. The moment I take myself out of the equation, I say to my Heavenly Father in my mind, God, use my body, use my mind, use my tongue. I will speak, but it will not be me that's speaking. You, Spirit of Father, speak in and through me. Okay? You must be aware of this. By the way, then, if you, you ascribe to this, you know what it means? You have to train your speech to be reflective of the speech of the Father. Jesus countless times says, I mean, this is like a wash throughout the synoptics particularly. The synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, those three. He would, it's like a constant refrain. He would say, the words I have are not mine, but they are my fathers who gives them to me. One stage they said to him, wow, your doctrine is so good. He said, my teaching is not even my own. It's my father. There's a beautiful verse which I'll share with you this afternoon on the church WhatsApp group. I'll give you the reference. But Jesus said it like this. The words that I speak are not mine, but my father has taught me what to say and how to say it. Sometimes we know what to say, but we don't know how. And do you know you can say the right thing in the wrong manner? And it detracts from the rightness of the truth. So you must learn truth, but you must also learn the right methodology. So the scripture says, for example, speak the truth in love. Truth doesn't always set free. It's dependent how it's communicated. Truth communicated from the platform of love designed to redeem the one in error. That truth is powerful. But truth simply communicated to showcase and to, to, to showcase somebody or to disparage or marginalize that truth doesn't, is, it lacks power. Okay? So I want to encourage you, tell someone again, exact representation. Come on, say it again. Exact. Like, like exact. Exact. <laughs> exact representation. Um, that we, prosec- we, we, we discussed last week in some depth, so I don't want to go through that again. I have so much on my heart for today, but what I wanted to focus on are two things. We are focusing in recent times on the matter of integrity. Everyone say integrity. So, and we've run about five or six sessions on integrity because integrity is an aspect of righteousness. Uh, the broad topic for the series we're doing is grace reigns through righteousness. Righteousness, an aspect of it, is integrity. I'm quoting uh, 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 Romans 5.21, which says grace reigns through righteousness. Everyone say grace reigns. So if grace is to reign, it's to reign in a context called righteousness. So my point being, if you like Jesus want to grow in grace to a place of fullness like he did, make sure that once you come into the kingdom, you elect, you choose a righteous lifestyle and behavior. Because when you choose righteousness and right living, as it were, or bringing every department of your life be it your marriage, be it your, 
your varsity life, how you handle your finances, how you engage your friends, how you handle uh, uh, bitterness, unforgiveness. In every department of your life, there is a righteous standard that God has. You must bring everything to compliance to that. Then I'm saying to you, watch how grace will reign. Because where does grace reign? Grace reigns in or grace reigns through righteousness. Grace would reign through righteousness. That is a powerful, excuse me, uh, principle. Uh, I, I discussed with you at length, Psalm 84 verse 11. The Lord God is a sun and shield. He gives two things. He gives grace and glory. So he gives grace and he gives glory. Without grace, there's no glory, which is exact representation. But this verse says, no good thing does he withhold from those that walk. So if you maintain an upright walk, God says, no good thing will I withhold from you. And what you're going to get is grace and glory. So God wants to offload grace. So what we've been saying is, if that's the case, I must master walking uprightly. In two or three weeks' time, I will share with you how that this is possible virtually through the power of grace. What God expects of you, He empowers you. God never lays the command without also capacitating you. In the expectation of God is also the empowerment of God. In the command of God is also the capacitation of God. What God wants, God will do through you. And I will show you that in a moment. That takes like pressure off. Tell someone pressure's off. Pressure's off in reference to this. God doesn't absolve you from any kind of uh, uh, responsibility. God says, no, play your part. But the moment you bend, you incline your heart to, to please me. See what I will do then. I will actually, I will cause you, and I will show you a bunch of scriptures in a moment if I get there. Cause you to walk in my ways. I will, you know, it's been an amazing, amazing scripture last night. Right? God says, I will cause you to walk in my ways. I will cause you to walk in my ways. So that when you are walking in my ways, the cause is who? The cause is God. But all you need to do is simply say, yes, God, I'm willing. Okay? So, I said to you, we must then master, how can we live righteously? How can I live an upright life? And I've been giving you keys. I've been giving you keys. Um, the first key that I discussed last week with you is to abide in sonship. Everyone say abide in sonship. How many of you are lapping up and enjoying John's epistles? Come on, everybody should, right? We've been having a glorious feast this week. I'm feeling fat. I think I've overeaten this week, <laughs> spiritually. Right? I think I've put on some spiritual weight, which I don't want to lose. <laughs> right? John is just a fantastic man. He's the apostle of love, the divine. And I'm glad uh, uh, Quentin read from his epistles this morning um, when we did the table of the Lord. But last week I presented to you a paradox, because he, the same guy in 1 John 3, verse 5 says, no one who abides in him sins. And he who sins, and no one who sins has even seen him or known him. Right? And then in verse 9, 
No one who is born of God practices sin. Right? Because his, that's God's seed, abides in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. John is saying something very powerful. If you are born of God, which means you are God's son, right? Born of God, God is your father, you are God's son. You cannot sin, you cannot sin, he argues, because God's seed is in you. Okay? But now, John chapter 1 verse 8. When John, the same writer, says, if we say, 1 John 1 8, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving our Selves and the truth is not in us. And then if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all un- unrighteousness. John presents two categories um, of sin. One that leads to death and another that does not lead to death. This he said even in his, in his own epistle. So I won't have time to go to the scriptures here. If you want to get the kernel of my brief summation, I will encourage you to consult last week's teaching. It's on the website. You can listen to it. It's an hour, 20 minutes long. So I won't have time to prosecute in detail all the scriptures. Let me give you the gist. Are you ready for the gist? Right? A punchline. Watch. John is not confused. On the one hand, he says, uh, if you say you have no sin, you are a liar. The truth is not in you. In the next third chapter, he's saying, but he who is born of God, his seed abides in him, cannot sin because God's seed is, is in him. And then later in the book, twice in John, he makes this statement. There is a sin that leads to death, and there are sins that do not, do not lead to death. Now, this is the explanation. I cannot sin in reference to vacating my sonship position in Christ. That sin does, can lead to death if I do it. So, let's watch carefully. Who is my father? I said this to you last week. Remember we did the exercise. I must, God is my father. I am his son. So, I am God's son. Say this with me. I am God's son. Right? So, if, if I maintain the connection between my father and I, that is sonship, I cannot sin in terms of in terms of departing from that position where God is, I'm a son, he's my father because he's seed. Everyone say he's seed. The Greek word sperma, sperm in the English. His sperm is in me, DNA. I cannot act in contradiction to the nature, the DNA, the sperm of God, divine sperm, Amplified Bible calls it, that's in me. So in life, I will behave like a son. I cannot vacate that position. Okay, I should not vacate that position. But now in life, having been a son of God, I might fall from time to time in reference to certain weaknesses or areas um, of, of, of deficiency in terms of my character. So let's say I wake up one morning and I fall prone to the temptation to lie at work about something. Oh, 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 oh. What have I done? What have I done? I have just not represented God exactly. I went outside of the bounds of exact representation. Question. Will I go to hell? No. Tell someone no. But now, before you jump to conclusions, if, there's a big if, what does John say? 
if we confess our sins, He is what? He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And if you've been studying the book of 1 John, he would say things like this. My little children, I think Quentin read it, I write unto you that you do not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he will cleanse us from from all sin. Now here's the point. I cannot, I should not leave my sonship position in Christ. I cannot sin in reference to vacating my sonship identity. Right? But I can engage, if I'm not careful, in expressions of the flesh. Last week I read to you 1 Corinthians 3, when we defined what is carnality. I can engage in certain things that the enemy puts in my world to tempt me, and I cannot reason like this. I cannot say, well, let me just give myself to every sin Right? That does not lead to death. It won't compromise my, my eternal position because I am in this position called Son of God from which I cannot sin. Be careful of that reasoning. Because here's, my, here's the principle that I'm developing in my notes. Just watch. A positional state in God could be negated by non-compliance practically to it. So positionally, I am saved. Positionally, I'm a son of God. Positionally, I am righteous. But even John says, he who is righteous must do what? Practice righteousness. What failure to practice might just compromise the claim to be it. So you prove you are it by how you live it. Tell someone, live it. Live it. So Paul argues in Romans 6, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? He says, by? By no means. No ways must I continue sinning that grace may abound. Now here's my challenge. I want to encourage you, well Randolph, if that's the case, how then can I successfully live like a son of God and overcome the temptations? That's the question, right? My first thing to you is, my first key, stay in sonship. Come on, tell someone, abide in sonship. Right? Because in sonship, God's authority and power is in you. So when you are tempted to sin, for example, say to yourself, do a dialogue, say, I cannot commit that adultery. I cannot steal. I cannot, I cannot do this. I cannot do that. Symptoms of the real sin. Because... It negates my claim to be the son. How can I do that? Because if I do that, I don't exactly represent my, my father. So if exact representation is my thing, is my priority, if I'm in a vice grip, if I'm in the vortex of a tempting situation, I must always ask myself, if I think this way or if I do this way, my attitude and my action. This is both thought life and deed life. It's in the mind and what I do with the life. If I think or do this, you must always ask yourself, is this going to, as a son of God, if someone sees this, if someone observes this, if someone analyzes this, will it be concluded he or she exactly represented their father? Well, Colossians 4 says, 
whatever. Say whatever. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, let all be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks unto his name. Everyone say whatever. Here's a basic principle. I would say to anyone, carry on. Do what you want to do. But if while you're doing what you're doing, in whatever you do, you can still lift your hands and praise God in the process. Right? And bless the Father, it's fine to do. I want to encourage the young people. Whatever you're doing, if Jesus were physically present, um, could you say, well, I can engage this and simultaneously praise you. Then it's fine. Amen? Very, very important. But you've got to stay in sonship. Tell someone, stay in sonship. I haven't really started. I really need to get going. Listen carefully. What I want to encourage you with today is two things. And I hope by God's grace to get through this. If you abide in sonship, then watch. What defines a son? What every son must have is two things. It's the word of God and the spirit of God. Everyone say the word and the spirit. I'm going to rush through a bunch of scriptures. Now, please, I, I want to deliver this as the Lord gave it to me. But please capture it with your, captured with your spirit. How does John start his epistle? First John chapter 1 verse 1. How does he open? What was from the beginning? Everyone say, what was from the beginning? All right, you should have said who, but he uses the word what. Because he's referencing Jesus Christ. And he says, he who is from the beginning, he says, we have heard him, we have seen with our eyes, because he physically walked with Christ for three and a half years, we have looked, we have touched with our hands, concerning what? The word of life. That's how John starts what was from the beginning. How does he start his gospel? John 1 verse 1. How does he start his gospel? He starts his gospel in the beginning was the word. So he starts his gospel similarly to how he starts his epistles. What was from the beginning touched, seen, handle of the word of life. And here in the gospels he says, in the beginning was what? Was the Word. Okay. How does Genesis 1 verse 1 start? Genesis 1 verse 1 starts in the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 13, in Revelation 22, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. I am what? I am the beginning. And I am the end. Okay? Now, when Genesis says, in the beginning God made the heaven and the earth, John's gospel starts, um, in the beginning was the, the word. His epistles start, in the beginning, I declare to you what was from the beginning, Revelation 22. Jesus pipes up and says, I am it. I am the beginning. The beginning in scripture is not a phrase to describe the commencement of a period of time. The end in scripture is not a period describing the resolve or the conclusion of a period of time. Both are reference to the person of Christ. You've got to get this into your, into your thinking. If there is a beginning, he is it. Right? So, 
he would make outrageous statements in the Gospels. And he would say to the Pharisees and Sadducees, before Abraham was, I am. They challenged him. They say, you're only about 30 years old. Where, how, how can you be older than Abraham? What he was trying to say to them, listen, everything the Bible says, John 1, just look at it, John 1, let's read it because I don't want to lose how he said it. John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 2, and he was in the beginning with God. Watch, all things came into being through him, through Jesus. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Who is the reason for creation? Who? Jesus. This text says, he was with God there. He, he, at the Revelation explains it. He is the beginning. And he says, if anything exists, if anything creatively exists, it exists because of me. It is Colossians, the beautiful verse which says, all things exist by him, for him, and through him. Three powerful words. They exist by him, for him, and through him. So, and in John 1, drop down to verse 14, verse 14, in John 1 it says in verse 14 that the word became flesh and the word dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. My point is this. I'll show you in a moment. Jesus Christ... The eternal word of God. Before he was called the son of God. Was called the word of God. He was in the beginning with God. And by him all things were created. And through him, for him all things exist. When God made everything. When, when creation, the creation account was, was, was released from God. God said, let there be. Everyone say, God said. God and His Word are one. God released Word to create things. That Word spoken literally, symbolically, was Jesus Christ. That Word in time became flesh in human history and dwelt amongst men. My point is this. Watch. No man, no, no man or agency or even spirit being who claims to be the Son of God, can make that claim without also being the embodiment of the Word of God. There's no, there's no uh, contradiction between Word of God and Son of God. The one defines the other, the one gives expression to the, to the other. He was the Son of God, but the Word in eternity passed, and that Word became flesh. Watch. That word walked on the earth in a human body, right? Walked for 30 years when he was baptized, came up out of the water. What did the father say? This is my son, my beloved son. For the first time, the father declared him son, right? Although he was always son, but he grew into that place of maturity, okay? My point being, the word became flesh. Now, last time I checked, you are still flesh. In fact, remind your neighbor and pinch them. There's flesh here, right? You're still a human, not so? You're still human. 
and the requirement, listen carefully, is this. Everything in the word must become flesh in your flesh. You must become the living word of God walking on the earth. Your claim to sonship is not established unless it's also rooted in this fact that I am the living word of God walking as the son of God. Right? If anything creative is to be released through you, like creation itself was released by the word made by him, for him, through him. If you are going to create, everyone say you are creator. And by that I mean that you are steward of purpose, but you do so creatively. If things are going to happen in your life and things are going to form, they're going to form from the basis of your knowledge and affirmation, assertion of your being as a living word made flesh, so that men can see the glory of God. The Word was made flesh, and we beheld His glory, full of grace and truth. Last week, I mentioned to you how that the Word of God is the sperm of God. Various portions in the Bible describe it as such. First Peter says, we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the the word of God which lives and abides forever. John 3 says, unless a man is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot be born again. The, word, the water there is a reference to the word of God. Ephesians says that we are washed and sanctified by the washing of water by the, by the word of God. James 1 verse 18, if we can look at it one again. James 1 verse 18, I think it is, says that in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth how? By the word. No man can be born again without the word. You are born again by the word of God. In the exercise of his will, he brought you forth that you, humankind, would be the first fruits of all of his creation. It's a privilege to be saved. Tell someone, a privilege to be saved. A privilege to be the son. If you say this, I'm God's son, guess what you are saying? God's sperm is in me. His word Everyone say word. Now, it's not just like the word you heard when you got saved. Yes, you responded and you went up and you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But he who is the son whom you received is also the word of God. Hence, it for me, it is unthinkable that anybody who claims to be God's son does not love God's word. For me, the two are... It's irreconcilable that you say you are God's son, but you've got no time for God's word. Let me just say the seed and the sperm of God's word is already in you. But like anything, any seed has got to be what? Watered, nurtured, given ideal conditions for its maximum growth and development. So for me, reading God's word every day, Listening to it, like by audio tapes and CDs and websites. Meditation. Everyone say meditation. I'm rewriting the whole manual on meditation now because of Dr. Caroline Leaf's influence. It's given me some perspective on stuff I've already written that I think we can prove now scientifically. Say read. Listen. Say meditate. Say obey. 
you you got to read the Bible. How many of you enjoyed the rigor this week of John's epistles? For the guests here, what we did is every day the whole church read a chapter of First John. The first five and then the singular chapter in Second John and the singular chapter in Third John. For the past seven days, we've been feasting as a daily routine. Now, I want to encourage the church, tell someone, grow up. I can't do that for you. It's timeless for me. I have to take the time to do it, to put it on the WhatsApp and to send it to you. Look for the audio and forward it. I can't, I can't treat you like babies anymore. You've got to do it for yourself. Tell someone, do it for yourself. You now, I've taught you, I've disciplined you, I've demonstrated to you how to do it. Now, you should be thinking next week, what is my plan of action for the word? What is my, what is my plan of action for the rest of my life? What diligence, what discipline am I going to bring to my personal life to daily engage word? I cannot be son without word. The son that you are, that you will ever be, is because of your devotion to the word of truth. Poor word devotion, poor sonship demonstration. No word, no exact representation. You neglect the Bible, I guarantee you, you're going to live unrighteously. It's the Bible, say the Bible. It's God's word that's going to keep you. It's God's word. That's going to cause you to, to, to overcome sin. How does, remember I shared this, this verse with you last week, John 8.37. This is a powerful verse. I didn't really get the time to thoroughly explain it. I won't have time, but I want to get onto something else. But quickly, Jesus said to them, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word got no place in you. Now, oh, this is the amazing thing. You see the, in the passage, if you read, this is an amazing chapter to study. Amazing chapter. John 8. It's fairly long. It's a couple of verses after this. Right down to 40-something, I think. Jesus is discoursing with people that claim to be Abraham's sons. They're claiming to be descendants of Abraham and part of the covenantal promises. Essentially, they, they claim to be God's sons. Right? And he, he cuts them down. He says... I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but why do you kill me then? Right? In other words, you're claiming sonship, but your behavior is negating your, your claim, right? And he says, why, the way I read this is, why are you acting, seeking to kill me, in contradiction to your claim? You claim one thing, but when I look at your behavior, what you do tells me your claim is invalid. And he, and he says this, that he gives a reason. My word has got no place in you. I, I, I'm serving notice on any excuse for not reading the Bible. Don't tell me you're too busy. Don't tell me my job is too demanding. Don't tell me the kids take most of my time. Don't tell me I have too much to study. I will never forget this experience. I was in second year university. We were, we were writing a macroeconomics exam, like the, the, the Monday. I had, you know, in economics, got those thick books, right? I had textbooks, I had files sitting. And uh, a friend came, a very good friend that I endeared, was endeared to. He was like a mentor spiritually to me. And he came to check on how I'm doing studying. 
And uh, he sat. He knew he couldn't stay long because I'm studying. So he sat. I'll just sit for 15 minutes and I'll be gone, just checking on you. So he sat and we're chatting away. And he saw the pile of books. And he saw my Bible next to the pile of books. And he jokingly said, on his exit, I love how you have the time for the Bible in the midst of all of this. And he took the Bible and he put it on top of the pile. He says, never ever forget this. He says, this knowledge surpasses all that knowledge. This knowledge will bring you eternal life. I bought three books last week. New books, one for Renee, one for Luke, and one for my daughter, Ray. Nice books. Journals. I said to them, you will start recording what God speaks to you when you read John. The Lord said to me, Randolph, you spend thousands of rand each year at the start of a school year for stationery. And you equip your kids well to be educated in Babylon. But you don't have the same passion for divine education. Everyone say no place in you. Ask, ask the person next to you, do you have place for the word? Is there place? Make the space. Literally, this word in the Greek is koreo. And koreo means, watch, to pass through, to enter, to gain admission into a holding room. A space where the thing entered can be retained. Jesus is saying, you make no space for my word. Right? In other words, you don't even open, at least. Tell someone at least open. You're not even trying. You're saying, this is reading I must do, no time. You're not even making the attempt. You're not even opening the door. And this word further says, to open so that the thing can pass, enter, and have admittance or admission into, so that in the space, say the space, in the room made available, the person who received it can hold it. Jesus is saying, you Pharisees, my word, it's not that it can't even pass through. You can't hold it because you've made no provision for it to enter. And what does the Bible say? The entrance of my word brings light and understanding. Entrance of my word brings light and understanding even to the simple. How did Jesus... Respond to each of the temptations of Satan. Come on, you know your Bibles? It is. It is written. Not so. Let me just say this to you. When the devil tempts you, and you have no word content in you, you have nothing, no reservoir, no arsenal, no weaponry, no defense mechanism with which to respond to temptations. Jesus, the Son of God, became the Son of Man to show sons of men how to live like sons of God. So as a man, he was a man, right? But he showed us how to live like the Son of God. One of the things he teaches us in Luke 4, if you as a man want to still be God's Son, because every temptation started like this. If you are the Son of God, make these stones bread. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself from the the mountain. Jesus said each time, it is written. It is written. It is written. Some of you can't say it is written because you've never read what was written, nor have you memorized. How can you respond to something without something that you've lodged in you? Yeah. 
You know, I'm amazed at how these young people can memorize songs. You know the modern music, not so? Doom, 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 doom. Right? It's like crazy. The rhythm and the beat take preeminence over the message. It's designed to speak to the soul of the person. Modern music is. But uh, some, some songs have so many lyrics, so compacted, and young people remember the entire thing. Then I'm a, but you can't, you don't know one scripture from First John that we read in seven days. Can't recall one scripture from seven chapters. Something's drastically wrong with our priorities. Yeah? I will encourage all of you, especially the young men, memorize the Bible. Yeah? Come on, tell someone, memorize. Yeah? In other words, scar your mind. Dr. Catalan Leaf is big on this. You, 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 you'll never behave outside of the thought patterns that you've scarred the mind with. So, like you scar, you, know, you cut yourself and leave a scar. Think of your brain or your, well, the, she distinguishes between the mind and the brain. Your brain is your physical organ, right? But you know that your mind, your soul mind, informs your thinking processes. And she proves that brain health is conditioned by thought life. Certain brain diseases could be cured by thinking correctly. Right? Um, so if that's why the scripture says whatever is good, whatever is pleasant, whatever is noble, think on. Well, God said to Joshua, this book, Joshua 1.8, Luke, uh, God said to Joshua, this book of the law will not depart from out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night that you might observe to do all. Why aren't people observing to do all? Observing to do all is obedience. But you back up. The process was this book. Say this book. He did not say a book or my book. If I say to you the keys, please fetch the keys. But if, if I say this key, when God said to Joshua, this book, it meant the book was accessible. It was close. If you say to someone, A, and speak gently, but the moment you use the word this, you are saying it's right there. God said, how quickly accessible is your Bible? Anybody? Back in the day, we used to have it next to our bedside when we slept. Yeah. Now we have it on our phones. Com uh, uh, technology has made it so easy. Right? Let the word have place in you. Let the word have place in you. I want to encourage you all, this, just by the way, this is a by the way encouragement. The devil is not your problem. The devil is not your problem. The devil has been defeated more than 2,000 years ago by Jesus on the cross of Calvary. We only give him power that he doesn't deserve. But you know the leverage he has in most Christians' lives the devil's primary weapon is ignorance. Ignorance to the devil is his arsenal against Christians or the sons of God. Why do my people perish? What did Jesus say? My people perish because of what? A lack of knowledge. Why is your knowledge in lack? Because you fail to study and read God's, God's word, right? How many scriptures, for example, in the New Testament do you know that start like this? And I would not have you ignorant, brethren, Paul would say, concerning them which are asleep. Right? right? Be not ignorant. The, what you don't know 
is going to kill you. Tell your neighbor what you don't know is going to kill you. Yeah. Knowledge. The moment I put the word in me, I can be strong against the, the enemy. I can be strong against the evil one. We did a verse in, in, in 1 John. I'm just trying to find it in my notes where it says um, that um, I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him from the beginning. I write unto you, children, because your sins are forgiven. Then he says, I write unto you, young men, because you are strong and you have overcome the wicked one and the word of God abides in you. What's going to cause you to overcome the wicked one? What did David pray in Psalm 119? I forget where I'm all over the place in my note. Please forgive me. Psalm 119 where he says, Thy word have I hid in my heart. Hid. In other words, he had place. Found place for the word. Have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you? Okay? I might not sin against you. Without the word of God, you cannot have incremental offloads of grace. Grace comes through the Bible. Grace comes through the word of the Lord. How many of you truly love God? Let me see your hands. Truly love Him. Right? How many of you truly love God's word? Love God's word. The claim to love God without also simultaneously loving His Word is no claim at all. In fact, you only love God to the degree that you love His Word. Jesus said this over and over again. Your love for God is tested by no other measure than by the degree to which you love His, His Word. His Word must be your first love. I won't have time to explain first love here. But let me just close. I really haven't got to the kernel of what I wanted to say to you. Because time has just raced away this morning. But, you know, in James 4 verse 7, it says, Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Not so? A lot of people misread this verse. Whenever I've heard this verse, James 7 quoted so many times. Even most people, when they quote this verse, only quote the second part. They say, resist the devil, and he will flee. No, no, no. Read the whole text. What does the whole text say? Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. So there's no active resistance of the devil without willing, volitional submission to God. In fact, your submission is your resistance. Your submission to God is your resistance of the devil. So when, you, when, when he comes to you and came to Jesus, watch, and he tempted him. Jesus had what in him? He had the word in him. And he used the word to against the devil. I would say this. He who has not submitted himself to God and to his word thoroughly is powerless to resist the enemy when he attacks. Like I say, the enemy is defeated, but he builds on one thing, your ignorance. And in the area in which you are ignorant, he got you. But you have to rise up and say, it is Written. I hope, I mean, um, my, my desire this morning is to really activate you to study the Bible more and read the Bible more. Yes. Come on, church. Yes. Are we going to do this? Yes. We must do this. Bible reading, listening to sermons, 
and meditation with a view to obedience must be central in all of our lives. John 14, let me close with this. I really wanted to speak. You're going to have to come back for part two next week. I wanted to speak on the power of the Holy Ghost. The two things I said I wanted to talk about today. The word of the Son of God needs two things. Remember? The Son of God needs the Word of God and He needs the power of God's Holy Spirit. Right? The one doesn't work without the other. And I will prove to you next week how that when the Word of God is in you, the, the, the anointing, everyone say the anointing, the anointing of the Holy Ghost will flow efficaciously and efficiently in your life. You'll, you'll find a new power. In fact, in next week's service, we're going to have a time to baptize people in the power of the Holy Ghost as well. If you're not baptizing the Holy Ghost, we're going to pray for you. And you will speak in other tongues. The power of God will rest upon you. But what I'm saying to you, before we get there, you as a son of God, love God, love His, love His Word. Okay? And um, you'll see how that the Spirit will attend you. Let me just close because of time. Uh, verse 19 of John 14. This has been my favorite text. When I taught the series, it's on my website, The Primacy of God's Word. There's about 12 sessions on my website about the importance of God's Word. This text, in all of that teaching, this text was my love, was my, the thing that really sealed that whole text, that whole series for me. And I'll leave this with you. Jesus said this, after a little while, the world will see me, no, uh, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Watch. He who has my commandments and keeps them. Now, here's the deal. Two things. You must have and you must keep. Point. You can't keep that which you don't have. So he makes two statements. He who has, so you must load it up. Listen to sermons, read, study. He who has, and do what? And obey. Uh, so you must, let me just say this. Every time you listen to a sermon, have your quiet time in the morning, read your Bible, whatever, the view, the objective, the aim, the ambition is always obedience. I must keep. Everyone say, I must keep. Right? I must keep. Now, and Jesus said, that's, that's the guy. That's the one who truly loves me. We can lift up our hands in worship and sing, I love you, I love you, I love you. I lo-, and we can go and become emotional in worship and we leave those doors and we don't do two things. We don't have word and keep. It's not your expression of worship in love to God that validates your claim to love Him. It's how you go out there and you live daily in life. Then we know who loves God and who doesn't love God. Right? It's have my words and keep them. That's the one who loves me. But I love what Jesus said here. He who loves me will be my father's greatest pal. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. If you love me by having, keeping my word, my father, guess what? He will love you. Be loved by my Father, and I will love him and do what to him? This is an amazing text. 
I'm going to start to peel myself off and reveal myself to him. Disclose means that something is hidden, something is barred, but I'm going to start revealing myself to you. When I see you are bent on having and keeping my word, let me just say this to you. You cannot be the son of God without also having the word of God. But your devotion to the word is with a, with a view to obeying it. Every time you obey it, that is the medium or the process by which God has chosen, as elected to personally unveil himself to you. Every act of obedience then is a disclosing act of God's nature to you. You have no idea of how your knowledge and understanding of the person of God will grow with every act of obedience. Every act of obedience now becomes important. I'm tempted to sin. You just say, I won't. I can't. What arms me with more courage to obey and not to disobey is this. Say to myself, I will obey. The Lord asked me to um, donate some money this week to a particular source. And like he spoke to me on, I think it was the Monday or the Tuesday. I, didn't, I knew it was God, but you know, we always think, give me a sign, <laughs> give me a confirm, confirming. And I just passed off at the back of my mind. I couldn't sleep, couldn't sleep because of uneasiness that I'm walking in to so obedience. And eventually when on Friday, I think it was today, Sunday, Friday, I got round. It was like three days delayed obedience. On Friday afternoon, got to, to do it. And you know the peace that came over me. A costly thing that would have compromised us in a particular respect financially. But I was happy in that I obeyed God. And I felt peace. And God said to me, I'm teaching you, disclosing to you my nature as a provider. So you don't, when I speak to you about giving, don't factor fear of loss into the equation. But just give. So your act of obedience, please, if you forget nothing else, remember this. He said, now, let me ask you this before I make the statement. Which of you here would not want him to come to you and disclose himself to you? We all do. I want to know him more intimately. He said, I wish I could just lay hands on all of you right now and disclose him. God said, no, that's not the way. I wish I could say to you, all of you go fast. God says, no, that's not the way. God says, the way in which I'm going to offload myself to them is through every act of their personal obedience. An act of personal obedience is the process of the disclosure of the Lord to you. Right? So, um, the next, the next um, Judas, not as scared as the other guy, not, not the thief, right? Said to him, Lord, he's asking a very intelligent question here. Lord, what then has happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? How is this going to work? Because if I thought you disclose, you disclose. But the disclosure is not general, it's not public, it's specific and personal to the one who obeys. So Jesus says this, watch. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will do what? Keep my word, my father will love him, we will come to him and make him what? The word abode is mansions that is used in John chapter 14 verse 1. In my father's house are many mansions. Jesus said, yeah, you, a mansion is not a place in heaven. Jesus is saying, you are the mansion. 
The church wants to go to heaven to a mansion. Jesus wants to come to his mansion in the church. Right? He says, I will come to you and make you my dwelling place. In my father's house, which you are, are many dwelling places. You're the dwelling place of God. God wants to come to you. And he says, the way in which, he's already, let me just say this, he's already in you as a seed. But every seed must grow to maturity. And every act of obedience becomes the disclosure of the Lord. Verse 24 quickly. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine. But it is actually my father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. Last verse. But the helper. And this is what I will speak about next week. Because here he talks about the power of God's word. Then he, he talks about the Holy Ghost. The helper whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance what? All that I have said. Now, you can't bring back to somebody's remembrance something that was not lodged there in the first place. Yeah? <laughs> yeah? Some people quote this verse and say, don't worry. The Lord will remind me what to say. But point is, what did he say? <laughs> did he say something for him to remind you of what he said? I'm saying. You know, I told you last week how I studied the whole book of Hebrews about 20 years ago. And I recorded a long hardcover book. Some of those things the Lord reminded me of and bringing back to mind. Why? Because I lodged it there. Thoughts are not lost. So basically, are we all going to read our Bibles? Are we all going to love God's word more than anything? Please remember, it's power against the enemy. It's power against the enemy. In fact, how on earth are you going to know what's right and wrong if you don't know it from God's word? If you live a life of integrity and do the right and not the wrong, your GPS, your guide is the Bible. Amen? It's the living word of God. Amen. Lift up your hands as prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for speaking to us. How we, we say like David, oh, how we love thy law. It is my meditation all of the day. Like Jeremiah said, thy words were found and I did eat them. And thy words were unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Say like David, I have understanding more than my teachers because your words are my meditation. Thank you, O oh God, your word is our first love. And if we're going to live righteously and in integrity, in, with integrity before you, we, we, we know that we cannot do it without the power, the sheer power of your word. Your word says that your word is quick and powerful. It's alive and it's active in us. It's the germ, it's the seed of God that is in us to bring us to life everlasting. We thank you, O oh God, for the power of your word. And now, God, come on, everyone, lift up your hands. I'll make a commitment on behalf of us all. I say, God, Lord, we want to commit to the more serious study of your word. We realize that as sons of God, we have to love the word of God. It's what makes us sons is your word living and alive within us. We've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the living word of God that lives and abides forever. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for communicating your mind. 
Thank you for putting your heart, your thoughts in a book, your word, the scriptures made alive to us through revelation. We thank you, O oh God. And we know, O oh God, that your word will be the source of empowerment, the medium by which you will disclose yourself. We look forward to the disclosures, to seeing you subjectively, personally, practically, in very powerful ways. But we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.